This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus reward registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. Okay. Okay. Phil, tell me, um, you're one of the few people that I've interviewed that is actually a few years older than me, not many, but uh, <laughs> tell me, Bristol Grammar School educated boy, so I'm guessing born on the south side of the city. What was your first match watching Bristol City? Uh, well, in fact, I was actually born on the north side, you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I was actually born um, in Hawfield. Anyway, um, the, the fact is that, that basically, um, in my youth, or in my schoolboy days, I used to watch both Rovers and City. So my dad used to take me to both. Um, and so I think, to be fair, because my first match was at Bristol Rovers, um, uh, I had an allegiance. And walked to the Eastville, as it was in those days. Um, so I only... Uh, periodically went to the city ground. I mean, I, I don't think I probably started going to the city ground until about 58, 59. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in point of fact, then, you know, you had those romantic names, Jeff Bradford at, at, um, at, at Rovers, you had John Attio, of course, and, 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 and people like that at, at Bristol City. Uh, and so therefore, um, I, I just grew up with football. Football was my life, really. I loved football at that time. So, uh, I mean, as, as far as it goes, um, I, I, I just love to go to football. Um, I probably, as I say, had an allegiance more to Rovers than I did to City. Yeah. But, uh, that's how it goes. And then your broadcasting, like I did in my early years, some years after you with, uh, with Radio West, but like in broadcasting, you almost fell into it by accident. It wasn't your mainstream job, because if I recall correctly, I think you were in financial services. But tell me how you, how you came to join Radio Bristol, who started around about 1970, 1969, 70. Yeah, well, I, I, I was just asked to do, of all things, a hockey game. I played hockey at school and I played for my all boys side. And one of my best friends at that time, or one of my best acquaintances, basically said, would I go and cover a hockey match? And I said, well, I'm not that keen. 
uh, no mobile phones, so I did it on a, um, a pay phone in a kiosk, uh, half time and full time, and then I was invited to go back to the studio. Um, uh, they had a program between half past six and seven o'clock. So I went back for this program and um, uh, my friend, John McDonald, a great friend of mine, he said, um, look, I'll ask you these three questions um, and um, about the game and that'll be it, you know, full stop. Anyway, in those days, I didn't know anything about time restraints or <laughs> anything like this. And um, a lot of people, I think, will remember Dougie Chalmers, who worked for Sports Report. And um, he was actually doing the training at Radio Bristol in those early days with the sports department and whatnot, because they, effectively they were, they were all freelance people. They were all yeah. volunteers, virtually. Anyway, to go long story short, I went back, and in those days I didn't know anything about time constraints and whatnot, and I saw Dougie sort of putting his hand across his throat to say, you're going to have to cut this. And John sort of asked me question one and then asked me question three. And in the, these days, I wouldn't even have thought about it, but I had the answers prepared. So if he asked me, he asked, asked me question three, I gave him the answer to question two. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, oh, that is, going to be my, that is going to be my one and only sort of thing. Anyway, um, Dougie had a very quiet word with me afterwards. He said, you, you've got a good voice for radio. We really would like to um, help out. But I was fairly heavily involved in sport. And I said, well, I don't really know. And then I got an injury playing sport. And uh, by that time, Dougie had departed. And I think you probably remember Peter Davis, um, who, who was the sports producer, by then the sports producer at um, Radio Bristol. And he asked me to go in and do the local scores. You know, phone up. I mean, in those days, they used to do Western League the whole lot. Yes. So you phone up the Western League ground, Dave, and say, "Oh, hello, so and so. What's the score there? Get the details of a score if they knew it and whatnot." And then you did pieces into the program, and it then just really progressed from there. Having done that for a couple of years, they asked me to go out and cover a match. Which my first match was at Bath. Um, <laughs> I used to go down to Yeovil as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, Minehead, of course, who were doing pretty well at that time. Um, and, and, and then it's just progressed. Um, I moved to London in 73. And um, I, because I was in London, um, if anyone wasn't available to do a game, um, they were in, um, in London. Or, you know, well, it stretched further than London, but London to them went a lot further. Yeah. <laughs> so, so effectively i mean you know i think one of my first games ironically uh was rovers at charlton um at the valley just before so you would cover so you would cover for radio bristol you would cover uh, rovers or city if they happen to be playing in london or maybe yeah, 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 doing, yeah. Doing, it, doing it like that so that's through the 70s so is that what you were doing pretty much through the 70s then living yeah, in london yeah. yeah got it yeah yeah, yeah, right through the 70s. I mean, I, I came back to do the score desk and whatnot on occasions. I, I drove down on a Saturday afternoon to do, to do the score desk and whatnot. So I kept my hand in and what yeah. have you. Um, and I, you know, again, from, from that point of view, Dave, it, it, it you know, it, it was the most enjoyable time, really, yeah. to be totally honest. 
I enjoy, enjoy, as I say, I've always enjoyed my sport. And so therefore, to a certain extent, um, I, I was in my element and getting paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. So to have, a, to, to have a proper job and do this. Now, your proper city connection came, I'm guessing, we talked about this before we went uh, started the recording, but it would have been because Jonathan Pierce who graduated uh, probably, I reckon, about 79 or early 80s. He ended up doing City for a couple of years for Radio Bristol before in yeah. 1983 he moved across to Radio West, which became GWR. So yeah. when he moved across, was that when you became associated with City or, you know, just explain that? Yeah, I mean, basically, yes, it was, because when Jonathan moved on, um, I've got to be honest, I can't remember who the sports producer, it must have been Nigel Turner, first time round, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. But I asked if I could cover City on a on a full time basis. Yeah. Now that didn't happen immediately, for one reason or another, my my full time job and what have you. Um, but 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 obviously, um, uh, my affinity with with City I think um, changed somewhat after all the troubles that they had um, in eighty two and what have you in eighty one eighty two, um, and um, I got to know quite a few of the people. And then there was this opportunity to go on the on the team coach, as you as you will be aware. Yeah. Uh, and those were some of the best times, Dave. Uh, I don't, you know, really. Well, they, they, they were. I mean, I can remember that because my first. I just looked it up in uh, the book here, and I think you were doing it a few years before me on the team yeah. coach. It was my first away game because Con, Colin Price used to cover. City That's right. Away, didn't That's he? Right. I started yeah. doing it in '83. And then they got me doing City at home one week, Rovers at home the next for a couple of years. And then the first away match I did, when Radio West decided they wanted to have one person associated with the club, like you were on Radio Bristol, was an away match at Swansea that we won 3-1. That was the very first away match I went to. But both of us in those days, I guess you were doing it a couple of years before. So yeah, we were probably yeah. there when City got promoted in 84 up at Chester, that final game. Uh, I, I was. I don't think I was particularly sober at that time, Dave, to be totally honest. We were on the team coach um, and, and effectively uh, um, Terry Cooper had actually arranged a do um, in a hotel on the way back. So we didn't get back very early that night, to be totally honest. <laughs> well, as you would say, they were good, they were good days. And uh, I, I was sort of like the latecomer, really, because I think in those days, uh, I'm trying to think who used to write for the press or do the written reports in those days. Did Peter Godsiff travel with us? or no, was, was it? It was Richard. It was Richard Latham by then, wasn't it? And the coaches were, the coaches were a far cry from the luxurious coaches we have now, weren't they? You know, we're oh, a few well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we did have a, we did have the coffee machine and what have you. But that was um, Ken doing that with the coffee that machine. Was, that was Ken, it? dear old Ken. Yeah, who's still there as a press officer. Yeah. Um, at Ashton Gate. Um, no, I mean, I mean, they, they were great days. And, and the, the thing is that you know, um, the three press lads probably helped out Ken with the coffees and that sort of thing. It, 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 it was great, and of course. I think this would have been before you actually started uh, with us on the coach. Um, they initially, when they first took over there, of course they had four supporters who paid to go on the team coach. Right. 
And our payment, our payment was we had to write for the programme or do various pieces. Because I know I did one year, I did a feature piece, and then I used to do the visiting team. And I think we rotated that because we used to have to get the copy down to John Cox, his house down in Clutton. Do you remember that? When we used yeah, to well, yeah, but yeah. I... I... I was in a bit of a different situation because um, at that stage, the Beeb had an arrangement with the club. <laughs> oh, well, so I, I, just, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have to do that. But of course, <laughs> as, you, as you probably know, I became programme editor there. Of course um, you did, yeah. yeah. Um, a little later on. Um, but no, I didn't have to do, I didn't have to do that. I, I was asked to contribute. But of course, uh, um, John well John and I were, were very good friends and so I helped out in in sort of other ways um, um, purely and simply because it's still at that stage although I was covering home and away I was still um, actually in financial services so yeah. therefore I had to um, juggle my time um, yeah. pretty much to, to suit when I could go away I mean I think I'm right in saying until I left financial services in 1990, I think I'm right in saying that I only missed five matches home and away. Yeah, yeah. So you were um, doing all of that. And you say all, well, most of that time, in fact, I think it was all Terry's uh, time in charge. Um, you know, well, Terry, Terry Cooper was the manager. What, what, a, what a character he was. Uh, I mean, I can remember, you know, as you do, you, me and Richard, uh, we went up, to Wembley on the team coach on the Friday and uh, you know there was there was there wasn't the them and us that seems to exist between players and reporters and dare I say it fans like there was in those days we walked around the pitch on Wembley I can remember interviewing Terry yeah. at the spot where he scored the winning goal for Leeds in the 68 uh, cup final uh, I did uh, I, I did that but uh, you know, we, 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 we felt part of it ourselves that day, didn't we? Just, or well, the day before, the preparation. Yeah, and I, and I think what it would be fair to say, Dave, as well, is that obviously in those days, I know it's those were the days, but in those days, uh, basically, they weren't the airs and graces that there are now. And basically, um, we... <laughs> The thing was, the club needed us as much as we needed them. Yeah. Um, and, and that is not to take anything away from Terry Cooper. I, I still think that was an absolutely inspired um, appointment by the board when they took over. I really do. Because that, that guy um, threw himself into it heart and soul. And the people he got, he got around him were absolutely fantastic. People like... Um, the unsung hero, Jock, Jock Ray, um, people like Clive Middlemas. Clive Middlemas, yeah. Alex, Alex Lockhart. Um, all people that were personable and, you know, basically um, were, were very, um, well, they, they were just very approachable people. Yeah. Uh, and and it, I, I think it was very significant there that, that some of those players needed to play and so therefore they played for the club and I you know I always joke or see him now but when I saw Terry I always used to joke with him you were far better signing free transfers than you were ever when you got money yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he would agree that and it was people who wanted it and uh, allied to the fact that he had people there 
who obviously had been associated with the club in those terrible, terrible times. Well, Biff, Andy Llewellyn and Rob Newman, two names that come to mind straight away, aren't they, from uh, those yeah, days? Even people like John Economou and, and um, people like that, you know, um, those, those people valued the club. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, the thing was, I, I, I think the other thing is, taking nothing away from the rest of the directors, but I think, you, you know, dear old Des Williams has got to take an awful lot of credit too um, for, for the way that he steered the ship. I know he got a lot of flack after they got promotion, or we should be spending a bit of money and all this, and we ought to be doing that. But I, I think he did an absolutely magnificent job. Yeah, he was well worthy of having uh, the stand named after him for the period, and uh, worthy yeah. of a place in the annals of Bristol City history, like Harry Dolman was before him, and yeah. like Steve Lansdowne will be forever and a day, I guess, going yeah. forward. But but in different but in uh, in different ways. Getting back to that uh, Wembley. Uh, trip the first one in 86 we actually shared a room that night didn't we phil yeah yeah we did actually yeah yeah and, just, yeah. and despite there being a little bit of rivalry because it was, <laughs> if ever anybody scored a goal you'd always say well he's speaking to radio bristol and i very meekly would sort of say oh okay then you do that but that night i think we had a bit of cooperation because we both needed help with our various recordings and we were snout on the bed this was in the days real to real ewer tape recorders yeah. and we were yeah. there sticking pieces of tape together having cut it with your razor blades i think or something <laughs> like that but uh, yeah oh yeah oh yeah I, I mean i mean generally speaking um we, we were extremely fortunate with the with the press guys that we had richard latham Colin Price that you... you, you passed away, yeah. It's passed away and, and, too soon. And the fact yeah. is that, that there wasn't this sort of secrecy, you know, oh, I'm going to get a scoop. You know, okay, there might have been times when they've kept things to themselves because they've been told in confidence. But that was the great thing. You know, if Coops sort of said to you, oh, I might be signing a player, you didn't actually go and spill that. Um, if you yeah. said, no, just keep it under your hat for another 48 hours or something. And that understanding brought a mutual respect. Um, I don't think I ever, I hope I was never uh, at a situation where I thought, well, I can't say this because someone will be upset. I think you will recognise that there are times when you get stories from elsewhere and what have you, which you've really got to break. Um, yeah. To be fair, in those days, there weren't that many. Um, no. But there were times. But I can remember a particular instance. I won't mention the player's name because um, uh, we're still good friends, I hope. Um, but but I, I always remember that Terry gave me an interview on an Easter uh, Easter weekend and um, said, oh, so-and-so's legs have gone. He won't be playing tomorrow, sort of thing. And Radio Bristol played that out. Now, oh, God. <laughs> well, no, but, but, Terry, but Terry hadn't said, to be fair to them, Terry hadn't said, oh, keep it to yourself. Unfortunately... I had the player's wife on the phone to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I had Terry on the... I got to Ashton Gate. We were playing at Hull the following day. Uh, uh, I got on the coach and Terry said, what do you play that for? I said, well, you said it. He said, well, yeah, but I didn't want it to go out there. I said, well, you ought to have said then. <laughs> yeah. He said, oh, I've had the player in the office and his wife on the phone as well. 
I said, well, I'm sorry, Terry. A, I don't get editorial license. <laughs> if the beep want to play it out, they'll play it out. I just leave the tape there and they play it. Yeah. Um, no, um, Terry, Terry was, he was, he was lighthearted and his demise came because that year, 87, 88, we got to the playoffs, didn't we? we and there was that famous match when we lost to Walsall, yeah, because they won the right to stage the final replay. And we had high hopes for 88, 89 season. I, again, I just checked my dates. I can remember it was an away match at South End on a Friday night. Yeah. Which was Terry's last game in charge. And I didn't, I didn't feel I knew Terry as well as, uh, as you did. But I know he said to me on the Friday, he said, I just can't, I can't make him do it anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was his last game. And then uh, Joe came in and Joe was uh, a different proposition, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and yet, um, you, you always knew where you stood with, 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 um, with Joe, didn't you? Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I mean the fact is, um, I am convinced uh, that, that Joe was badly hurt, either at Man United or at Leeds, by the press. And so therefore, it took him a little bit of time to get rid of the suspicion. But, you know, he could be ferocious. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'll never forget at Twerton Park when Rovers won the championship. City lost that night, three 0 and I just had a sort of. It, it was a throwaway question. It was probably a bit silly on reflection now, but I just said to him, I said, "Well, one game to go, you know, um, what's the sort of thing for for Saturday? Are you, you going to give some of the fringe players a game or something?" He said, "Are you picking the team?" Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Joe. Well, I think you are. You know, and no, he, he could be. Look, he could be like he could be like that. But he, yeah, he, yeah I can remember what I used to have uh, sitting up in the box with me, the uh, ex Sunderland manager, former Sheffield Wednesday, Preston Hull, the guy I know quite well still. Ken Knighton used to be like my oh, yeah, match yeah. analyzer, yeah. and yeah. I can remember we won a game three nil. A couple of might have been against Wigan. And I went down in the dressing room to uh, to get uh, to get um, uh, my interview with Joe, and he said, "I'm not giving any interviews to Radio West until that Ken Knighton comes down here," because he was criticising, not massively, but I think it was a guy called Nigel Hawkins at the time saying he was a bit uh -huh. lightweight, didn't get stuck in. But you know, he was he and he. I mean, he. That first season, it was only that cup run against Forest when we got to the semi-finals of the Littlewoods Cup that kept him in the job because I can remember Richard writing in the paper, back him or sack him, and then he went out and signed Bob Taylor, didn't he? And that, that yeah. was the making of him. But, I mean, the cup run saved him, but can you remember the game that really um, probably capped any doubt? And that was a game against Huddersfield. 6-1, Bob Taylor. And they yeah. were 4-0 up in the first 21 minutes, Dave. That's right. And the thing was that, um, just a little story, um, I, 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 I here, but um, the thing right. is that I got a call, I'm, I'm sure you had the same with Radio West, I got a call from Radio Leeds, their reporter had been taken ill, and would I do reports for them as well as for Radio Bristol? Oh yes. So, so I mean, those used to be a bit hairy, but 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 again, if the game was, shall we say, normal, then you could cope with it. But of course, 
um, John Champion was actually presenting his first programme for Radio Leeds. And to a certain extent, I, at that stage, I was talk, talking him through. He said, well, what time should we do the reports and what have you? I said, well, you can always do it on a goal or something like that. Sort of wishing I hadn't said it purely <laughs> because I suddenly thought, well, Radio Bristol will want it at the same time. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> he said, well, uh, we'll space them out over the, you know, three, you're only allowed to do three reports. That's right. At that time, no commentary. No. So I said, okay, fine. So in the end, it, it worked out quite well. And I kept phoning him on my mobile. By that time, I think we had mobiles or it might have been on a landline. John, yeah. there's another goal. And he said, what do I do? What do I do? And I said, well, I think you're going to have to have a bit of license. We'll have four in this half and two in the second half. And it worked out quite well. And, and the poor bloke was, <laughs> I mean, a blooming good broadcaster, John, as you know. And yeah. he, you know, he had a really tough baptism into, into presenting. And look how it turned out for him. But that, yeah. that was an absolutely incredible game of football. No, and, I mean, and, and you talk about that cup run. I mean, goodness gracious, did we not have some great nights there? Um, Bradford City away was one, wasn't it? I think yeah, it was an Alan Walsh goal that put us on the way. Then we went to Forest, who were a good team yeah. in uh, those yeah. days. Paul Martin, 1-1. One, one. And then uh, Alan Walsh's shot spinning across the line that yeah. might have made the difference before. Was it Gary Parker scored the winner for yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. it was a travesty. That 89-90 promotion season, by then, I was travelling in the car with Richard. Were you still doing the team coach then? or No, I, I, I'm just trying to think. Because uh, they stopped it. They stopped it at the start no, of that. No, I stopped, I stopped at the same time as Richard, I'm pretty sure. Did you? Uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to think because we were still travelling. I'm just trying to think now about um, things like when Russell Osman was in charge and things like that, because I think I was going on the coach at that time. I think yeah. I was... I, might I, think work. What stopped, I think what stopped us going was that we... They used to travel up on a Friday a lot more. So if they went on a Friday, I had work commitments then, and Richard yeah. obviously had to write for the paper, which is why... So I think you carried on doing it for a few more years, actually, on the team. Yeah, I've got... We went us a couple of times in the car because we used to drive off... And Richard and I used to do it. We used to sort of pick the closest little chef and have yeah, our yeah, breakfast yeah. and Jubilee pancake and rock up. Right, right. Rock up. I've got a feeling. Sorry, go yeah, on. No, I was going to say, I, I, I've got a feeling that I was going on the team coach because I think by that time, was it Simon Parkinson who was, in, who was doing the, um, the, the Western Simon Daily? Simon Parkinson was doing Western Daily then, I think, yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I mean, Although I've got a feeling we, we travelled by car. I, no, I, I, I still travelled. No, do you know what? Actually, I still, I think I still travelled as well because Mark Hazelwood. Yeah, I, I was going to say because... It, yeah, it went on a few yeah. more years. It did go on a few more years after that. Go, go, going back to that 89-90 promotion season, though, that was a good... I mean, we had uh, Taylor and Turner up front, Rob Newman, Mark Gavin on the wing, Dennis yeah. Smith on the other wing. We played some really good football that year, didn't we? It was a it was yeah. a pleasure to watch it, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 It wasn't Dennis Smith, by the way, was it? <laughs> was it wasn't Dennis Smith. What was it? Um, oh, David Smith. Was it David? I can't think of his name. David Smith. That's right. David Smith. That's yeah. it. Flying yeah. flying winger. But um, yeah. but there we go. Um, yeah. 
Okay, um, look, I'm gonna let me just chop this here so we don't have too long a recording. Right. So let me just stop right. recording. Okay, Phil, we've been talking uh, about the uh, 80s into the 90s. Joe Jordan, when he left uh, the first time, um, September 1990, uh, he, uh, we, I think it was West Brom, and we were getting ready to get on the team coach afterwards. And I think the rumor was going that he was going. Um, yeah. Was a bad move for the club, a bad move for Joe with the benefit of hindsight. What were your thoughts on Joe leaving? Because he was that figurehead man that had come in with the track record and everybody respected him. Yeah. And he got the goal of promotion, but it was a travesty. It was a travesty. It was a shame when he left, wasn't it? So oh, soon. Absolutely, Dave. I mean, the problem was, of course, everyone knows that, that uh, Joe was a Scotsman. His father still lived in in Scotland, and it, and really, um, he was. Um, I, th I think he was attracted because it was in his native land, because of the potential at the club. But, you know, obviously they didn't have the troubles then that they've got now, and, and so therefore, I think he saw it probably as a stepping stone. For the Scotland um, manager's job, going to Hearts was a stepping possibly, stone to do that. I, I don't yeah. know. I, I've never, to be honest, I've never talked to him about that. But but I, I, I feel that was the case. And I always remember going on a pre-season tour uh, when City went up to Scotland and we organised a visit to Hearts. And really, he was so happy. He was so proud of the club. Um, I think he was having problems, to be totally honest. I don't think he was getting his, I was going to say his own way, but perhaps he didn't have the money that he thought he was going to have. And so therefore, I don't think he really um, got the su success that he aspired to. And and Joe is a very proud man, as you know. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, um, I don't know, in hindsight, he may have said, thought, well, I could have taken Bristol City a bit further. Um, but again, uh, I think it would also be fair to say that in those days, City weren't a wealthy club. No. And so therefore, there were probably a lot of restrictions on what he could sign, what money he could pay, and so forth. And um, perhaps he just felt that it was a stepping stone for somewhere else. Yeah, but that season, they didn't do so bad, did they? Because Jimmy Lumsden took over. He was a good number two. He worked with Joe, I think, in uh, subsequent roles. But they only missed out on the playoffs by uh, four points. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Lumsden, that wasn't a bad effort. But he was never going to be a permanent choice, was he? No, he wasn't. And But, but of course, he was always the foil for Joe. Yeah. Joe was, in the eyes of the players, and I don't mean it quite literally, but he was the bad guy, you yeah. know. I'll have you in on Monday morning. You're going to be weighed. If you've enjoyed yourself too much over the weekend, you'll be fined and whatnot. Jimmy was the guy that was was relied upon to put his hand over the shoulder of these players and say, look, you know, he doesn't really mean it. Blah, blah, blah. And and the players had a lot of respect for Jimmy. It's the good cop, bad cop routine, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think probably, in the end, Jimmy's downfall was the fact that... that he was so friendly with the players. Yeah. Uh, and, and perhaps there were some, not all, but there were some that would take advantage. Yeah. Um, as players do, I'm afraid. Yeah. And Jimmy's last game in charge, because remember, again, we were at that game. I think you travelled up with the team, but we stayed at the Gosforth Park Hotel. Yeah. It was, um, it was uh, 
Kevin Keegan's first game in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kevin Keegan's first game in charge, and he was staying in the same hotel because I remember having a five-minute chat with him. They uh, dubbed us three uh, 0 and uh, and then I can remember. Well, that was the end for uh, Jimmy. And then a few couple of weeks after that, we were playing Wolverhampton away when that big stand that is now their main yeah. stand was being built. It was a bit like a a, a, a building uh, site, Wolverhampton's ground in those days. And I think the rumour was going around that we were getting Dennis Smith and that was starting to break. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, Dennis I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> in some ways they were quite turbulent times, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, uh, because, yeah. Um, basically, well, I suppose you could say it's still the same now, but managers never seem to stay. And we seem to get through an awful lot. I know circumstances probably dictated it in, in Joe's case and what have you. Um, but, but having said that, we seem to get um, rid of a couple of managers. And of course, in those days, we weren't getting the crowds that we're getting now. No, I mean, no I'm just looking at the crowds, 91-92 season. Let's pick a big game. Home to Wolverhampton, who were, well, middle of the table back then, just looking at uh, that league season. But home to Wolverhampton, Ashton Gate, 12,000, home to Leicester, who we beat, yeah. uh, 13,000, as you say, not big dates. But the big thing that Dennis Smith did, he went out and signed Andy Cole and Leroy Rosinia, yeah. and their goals pretty much kept us up that year, didn't they, at the back end absolutely. of that season? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, Dennis, Dennis was very, very much a, a, a PR man, though, wasn't he? I mean, <laughs> he was great for us, but I, I never got the feeling, Dave, and it's only a feeling. I can't honestly say I, I know too much about it. I never felt that the players felt comfortable with him. I don't know what you, whether you had that yeah. impression. I think um, he, yeah, I mean, he, he had a good track record before he came to us and a few years after. He's in his 70s now, but... I know what you mean. He was quite a biggish name to come in. He had a reputation, but he didn't really settle. In fact, he'd gone. I was looking at when it was because he signed Andy Cole permanently. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And it was an FA Cup third round replay, I think it was, or an away game at Luton. That's right. He knew he was going to have to sell Cole. And I think it was sort of, he, there was a little bit of animosity and he'd gone, hadn't he? And then we, have, we then had the gang of three because Russell right. Osman was in the side. Right. By, right. Russell, Russell and gang of three with Mark Hazelwood. Yeah. Did they keep in charge? That, that ran to the end of the season, didn't it? Yes. I think they were that. Yeah. I mean, the Dennis Smith demise started with the... Um, um, Anglo-Italian Cup when we were uh, where did we go? I'm just trying to think where we well, were. I've got it here, you went to Pisa and Cremonese away, so yeah. you probably travelled with that, didn't you? Yeah, I did, oh yeah um, but the Pisa game was where it started to break that players weren't happy with him Yeah. and um, if you remember he I don't know whether it was his choice or whether it was um, forced upon him. He, everywhere he'd been, he'd taken Malcolm Crosby with him. Yeah. As his assistant. And when he went to City, uh, and I can't remember quite how this transpired now, Dave, but 
um, I know that Russell Osman was effectively his assistant. Right. Crosby, I think Crosby was going to come, and then a job came up with it for him at York. Yeah. I think it was York. Anyway, uh, as it happened, Russell got the job, and um, there were mutterings after the Pisa game, and we were staying... Richard and I were staying in the same hotel as the team and two of the directors said do you fancy a walk along the beach <laughs> and we thought Richard looked at I, myself and I looked at Richard and we thought uh oh what have we done and a conversation, <laughs> a conversation ensued as to what did we think of the manager um did we see any signs of what have you um and so we were very diplomatic um and i think richard and i to this day probably hope that we we weren't responsible in any way for his sacking but 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 certainly that was where it went and effectively after that um the problem is with dennis and and i think he, he had the right to to think this but he, because he'd been there, done it, I think sometimes he got a little bit carried away. Um, I was going to say importance. That's, that's not really fair. I'm try, just trying to think how I can phrase it. But I, th I, th I think that probably he lost the, the greater plot of, of the, the club and what have you. You know, it had to be done his way or not at all. Yeah. Now, that, that can happen in perhaps clubs like Sunderland and whatnot, um, because at that stage they were, you know, at the top of, you know, yes. respected club and whatnot. At Bristol City, things had to be done within a framework. Yeah, uh, it's interesting well, you made that. Uh, sorry to interrupt. You. It's interesting you made yeah. that comment about Smith because if ever there was a person that could beat his chest and say, "Look at what I've done," it was Joe Jordan with a Leeds Man United AC Milan <laughs> playing record, three three World Cups. Yeah, so he, yeah. you think he read the street a bit more in that respect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Joe never really ever um, sort of force that down your throat did he you know <laughs> yeah. he he would focus on the job he would focus on the football um i mean i can uh, I, I was going to say in our earlier chat that when joe came and joe came you you were a bit we were a bit wary of and let, let's be totally honest about it but i always remember we played and i think you were there but richard and i certainly were we went, we were playing Brentford and we stopped at the um, Holiday Inn at Heathrow. Mm. And we sat with Joe and dear old Buster and what have you. And but it was late in the season, admittedly. And Joe, Joe talked about his and Judy's um, boxer dogs. And I've never heard Joe ever talk about anything but football, really, until that sort of time. I mean, yeah. you pass the time of day and what have you. But but it was so fascinating and what have you. And, you know, he talked about the kids and whatnot because he was a very private person. Yeah. And, and you thought, oh, are we having a new Joe here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, it, but, but then it was back to business. Um, yeah. 
And, but anyway, and you said about you said about Dennis Smith. He didn't last very long. Russell came on board. You had him with a gang of three. First thing he did, Russell was we said goodbye to Mark Azerwood and Gary Shelton, who along with Jerry Gow, those two, two of the best midfield players that uh, I've ever seen pull on the red shirt for City. And then uh, Russell didn't. Russell wasn't a popular choice, was he? he actually got booed when he scored a goal yeah. in one home game, I seem to yeah. remember. What do you think Russell's downfall was? I don't... Well, I, su- I suppose to a certain extent it was results, wasn't it, Dave? I mean... Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think it was purely and simply that. Um, again, I think probably it was the wrong time for him to take a job. He did. He had no experience. I'm not saying he wouldn't have been a good coach and whatnot, but <laughs> there is this thing in football, isn't it? Always, once a defender, always a defender. And yeah. to be totally honest, having saved City with, with some, you know, pretty resolute displays and what have you. Um, and full credit for that. To me, the brand of football that he tried to play was probably one of the most boring. And I think again, Dave, um, you've got the statistics there. But but the crowds started to dwindle, uh, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure that we were, we were down to about seven eight thousand by that time. Well, I'm looking. This is the end of ninety three ninety four season, and I'm looking. Uh, we're languishing in mid table. I'm looking at a home game against what well, Derby, eight thousand seven hundred. Yeah. Final yeah. home game of that season. Admittedly, they won four one, uh, and it was uh, seven thousand eight hundred. You know, pitifully, yeah. pitifully low crowds, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, I mean, he was also instrumental in getting rid of the the, the fans' favourite Jackie, wasn't Jackie that? Jackie Jackinowski? Yeah, yeah. You what know, a player! What a player! I mean, you know, so, so therefore, having said that, I will honestly say, um, we were talking about Liverpool um, earlier on, but, um, and again, I, I'm not sure whether you were there or not, Dave, but again, I travelled on the team coach at that stage, and I stayed with the team in Liverpool, yeah. and um, Richard and I were allowed in on the team talk, and that is one of the most inspirational team talks I have ever listened to. And which was, was given by Russell, which would have been yeah. given by Russell. Yeah, and, and you know, dear old Junior Bent was there. And um, as, it, as it happened, I don't think he played. I think Julian Dix played on the night. And there he was saying to Junior Bent, he said, look, he said, you're only up against Alan Kennedy. You can have him on toast. And he just went round the team, boosting every single player. And I thought it was absolutely inspirational. Um, and, you know, so he obviously could motivate, but I don't think he had enough experience. Yeah. Um, He's yeah. another one that could have done better if he'd have had a little bit of a guiding hand above him. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think, I think that's absolutely fair comment. Um, I, you know, as I say, I, I, I liked Russell. Um, yeah. He, he was no, he's a, very well, very you know, very personable, well-spoken yeah, guy, yeah. and it's incredible. And knew what he wanted. Knew what he wanted. Sorry, Phil. Sorry. Yeah, I said, and knew what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. So um, they went to Joe. So results caused his demise. They went back to Joe again, who came this time with uh, 
John Gorman, another lovely fellow, again, the good cop, bad cop. Going back to Joe again, again, you were closer to the club than I was at that time. I can remember when Russell went. I was running their club call service in those days, 0898-1211-76. I was in my office and I had, it was just coming up to six o'clock and I had Darren Collar on the phone saying, David, you better get down here for club call. We've just sacked Russell. And I can remember being in the boardroom in the old Williams stand at Ashton Gate. And it was just coming up on points west. Bristol City have yeah. sacked Russell Osman. And, uh, you know, we had to do a little piece for the official club call thing. But going back yeah. to Joe, do you think it was one of those almost fait accomplis that they knew they were going to go back to him? You know, he just had to be there or? I don't know. I, I, I um, To be honest, I think I probably was quite surprised that he came back. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, there was certainly no animosity when he left the club. I mean, there's absolutely no animosity when he left the club. Oh. And, so, and so, therefore, they had had some good days under Joe. So, I suppose, if you look at candidates and whatnot, and, you know, obviously, uh, the word was that he, he was available, um, then perhaps he was a natural choice. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest, Dave. My memory isn't as good as it used to be. I'm, I'm just trying to think whether anybody else was in the. Um, no, I, the I, I, remember. I remember his first game in charge, though. His first game in charge, they beat Swindon three-two, and Swindon were doing well at that time. But then he went on a, uh, a, a very, very poor losing run. He then went out and signed Robert Fleck on loan, and Fleck started scoring a few goals, and they had the chance to keep him. Yeah. And I think they didn't have the money, but it was the time when Andy Cole went from Newcastle to Man United. And if yeah. we'd have had a sell-on clause, a decent one, and we could dwell on why there was no sell-on clause on that transfer. If we'd have had a sell-on clause, we might have kept Robert Fleck. And I think we signed another guy in midfield. Was it David Howells, who was quite good? But we just, we, we just couldn't hack it, could we, that season? No, no, no. I, it, you know, um, the, the thing is, I, I've, I've always said, in, ever since I've been involved, really, in, you know, from the broadcasting side of whatnot, you never go back. Joe probably was a, a bit of an exception there. Um, and, of course, you, you know, he, um, he had the perfect fall, as you quite rightly said, in, in, in John Gorman. And um, they worked really well together because, as I've said earlier, Joe knew what he wanted. And Gorman was a football man who loved to play football. He, you know, they were both what I call football purists. One the yeah. question of shutting up shop and getting a point or whatever, they wanted to play football. And that was Joe's style. I mean... Um, Why did that all go wrong for Joe the second time round? Because he joined, it was November 94 when he joined, and he'd gone by... Uh, April 96, wasn't it? Yes, or was it 97? So that coincided with a change in, in the board, didn't it? If I remember rightly. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I mean, I mean the thing is that, that you could either take Joe or you, you could leave him. And I would imagine at that stage that he had his ideas of which direction the club were going to go. Yeah. And I have a feeling that with the change in change of board and what have you, uh, that 
probably they said, well, that's not the way we want to go. I don't know. I, I, I'm only surmising there. But generally, you'll find in football that that is the case. Um, and, and as I say, um, it, it was strange. I mean, the, the strangest thing of all, though, was that his right-hand man took over for a time. <laughs> that's right, John Gordon, that's it. Yeah, short period. It's the 90th minute, all your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.